Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, the 8th chapter, the Gospel lesson for this Sunday, the 51st verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I know that I need not tell you that it is a good morning with the sun shining. I hope that all of us thank God for the day and thank him that we are alive, and that we do have the privilege of coming here into his house and to worshiping him. Today, as you know, is known as the fifth Sunday in Lent. It has several names. One name is Eutychus Sunday. It gets that name from the Latin word, which is the first word of the intro for the day. The intro beginning, judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. So this is judge me Sunday. And another name that it has is Passion Sunday or Suffering Sunday. As you and I know, from Ash Wednesday to Easter, in that Lenten period, there are actually 46 days, and yet we talk about Lent as only being 40 days in duration. And the reason for it is this, that we say the six Sundays in the Lenten period, they are excluded, and they are not called Lenten days. But in the church, the church felt that perhaps one Sunday of the six should be used, and that it should carry the theme of the Lenten season, and that we would call it Passion or suffering Sunday, and that's where it gets its name. And may I say the text that I just read, which I have told you is the gospel for the day, it gets very fitting for Passion Sunday, this fifth Sunday in Lent. In this text that I read, Jesus made a tremendous promise. He spoke these words, this great promise of his, while he was in the temple in Jerusalem, the time was about the Feast of the Tabernacles, oh, about six months before his death. He had just completed his Galilean ministry, and he came down to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was surrounded in the temple by a lot of hostile individuals. And they were standing there as a mob heckling him. They were criticizing everything that he was saying. They were taking up every word and misconstruing it, and they were belittling him, and they were simply humiliating him. And yet, in that kind of a surrounding, he made made this tremendous promise when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he said, Whosoever shall keep my word, he says, That person shall never see death. This was the promise that he made. In other words, he said, Believe me, this is true. Verily, verily, with all of the earnestness that I can muster, know this, that if any man will keep my saying, if any man will obey me, will do what I tell him to do, that man shall never see death. And he was talking about eternal death. That man will never see hell. That man will never spend eternity in hell. That man will never go to the abode of the damned. That man will spend eternity with me in heaven. This was his promise. And today on Passion Sunday, Jesus calls to you and he calls to me and he pleads with us. He says, believe my promise, will you? Trust my promise. Believe it with all your heart. Hold on to this promise. Oh, just simply stake your eternal destiny on it. Don't ever doubt it that if you do my word, I assure you that you will never see death. You will never see hell. You will never be lost. 
And you and I may say, oh, I'd like to heed him, and I'd like to trust this promise. I'd like to stake my life on this promise, especially when he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, I'd like to obey his word so that, again, that I could trust that promise and never doubt it, that I would never see death, that I'll never be lost, that I'll never spend eternity in hell in the place of torment, but I will spend eternity in heaven with my God, that we may say, where is there any proof that uh, he will actually come through? Where is there any proof that he will bring this promise to a fulfillment? And we may say, oh, you've got promises, promises, promises in the Christian religion, but where is the evidence that these promises are going to be fulfilled? We may say it's easy said, but it's hard to do. And then we may shrink in our trust and we may say, I'd like to stake my eternal destiny on that promise of his, that if I do his will, that I'll never see death. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. But where is there any evidence that he may not disappoint me? Where is there any evidence that I may be disillusioned? that I may wake up and find that I have done his will and I am still lost. Where is there any proof? Where is there any guarantee that he will fulfill this promise? And thank God Jesus says to you and me this morning, I've given you all the proof, I've given you all the sufficiency, all the assurance that you need that I will come through. And let's look at it this morning on the basis of this gospel. We may say, what evidence do we have? that if you and I stake our eternal destiny on this promise, if we say, I'll do and I'll obey you, I'll do what you ask me to do, and therefore I will trust through thick and thin and I'll not doubt for a moment that I'll not see death, that I will not end up in hell, my soul lost eternally. We may say, but give me proof, Jesus. Please do. Give me a guarantee that you're going to be there and you're going to come through that you're going to fulfill it, that you're going to do it. I, I want to know, can I depend on you? Or, or are you going to disillusion me? Are you going to uh, simply destroy me? And will I find that again I have believed and put my trust in you in vain? In the first place, Jesus would remind you and me of this, that he has given us this absolute certainty and this guarantee that he's going to come through, that this is the promise that he's going to absolutely fulfill. It's the evidence of his sinlessness and the evidence of his truthfulness. He stood before those hecklers, and believe you me, that was something. When they were simply absolutely not believing in the thing that he was saying, they were hurling everything at him, they hated him. And when he again made that promise, he said to them, and he stood up before them and said, Which of you convinceth me of sin? You know, that was something to stand before a group of hecklers that hated him and say, you bring evidence that I'm a sinner. You know, he stood before them and they, they never were able to do it. All they accused him of a lot of things, mainly that he broke the Sabbath day, that he didn't keep God's law, that he worked on the Sabbath. And Jesus soon showed them that after all, God wants mercy on the Sabbath. And God never said you can't work when there is mercy to be done. They also accused him of cavorting with, again, the open prostitutes and the sinners. But did you ever notice this? Even his worst enemies never accused him of immorality. There is never any charge from his worst enemies that he was ever guilty of immorality. He personally, this is something to remember. He stood before them and he stands before you and me today and he says, if you want proof that I'm coming through, you bring any evidence that I'm a sinner. And for 2,000 years, let me tell you, they have taken this life of Jesus and men have looked at it and they've analyzed it and they've psychoanalyzed it. And we stand today in the 20th century and we say about Jesus, the greatest life that was ever lived. No man today 
has ever proved any sin in thought, word, and deed. He stands impeccable. And Jesus says, I want you to know no one will ever convict me of sin. And then how about his truthfulness? He said to them, if I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? You know that I'm telling the truth. And we may say, did he speak the truth? As we turn to the word of God and we again analyze what he said, even up to this 20th century, men say, here was the stranger of Galilee that spoke the truth. He never lied. No one has ever, even up to our day, ever accused Jesus or ever been able to prove that he ever spoke an untruth. And therefore Jesus says, are you worried about me when I give you the promise that if you do my will, that I'll see to it that you'll never see death, that you'll never end up in the eternal punishment for your sin? Are you worried that I'm going to disappoint you? Are you worried that I'm not coming through? Jesus says, bear in mind, here's evidence. I am the sinless one. I am the truthful one. And therefore I'll come through because I am the one who in all things I was worthy to be the Savior and I was the Messiah. I was the Savior. Go back into the Old Testament. Was Jesus of Nazareth really the promised Savior? Why, David, when he talked about him, he called him the Holy One. Thou wilt not suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. He was the Holy One, as you and I can attest even in the 20th century. Therefore, he was the Messiah. Isaiah said of him, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and hath anointed me to preach the gospel. That means the good news, the truth to the poor. Did he preach the gospel? We talk about the gospel truth, don't we? He preached the gospel truth. No man has ever found him guilty of a lie. And therefore Jesus says that I was qualified to be the Savior because even in your 20th century no one has accused me of ever being sinful or of ever being a liar. And therefore Jesus says I am qualified and I am that promised Messiah. And that's why he says to you and me today, will you believe my promise? Will you stick your life on it? Will you trust my promise? Will you stop doubting? If you will do what I say, I assure you that you will never see death. You will never die eternally. You will never go to hell. And we say, where is the evidence? All the evidence in the world. And therefore today on this Passion Sunday, we ought to say, I, I'm going to believe that promise. I'm going to stake my life on it. And I know this, I'm not going to doubt it for the moment. I'm not going to say to myself, well, he may not come through. He may disappoint me. I may wake up and be horribly disillusioned. I may end up in hell, even though, again, I should do his will. We ought to say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust that promise and stake my life on it. And then we ought to declare and assure ourselves that we're going to do this. That we're going to repent of our sins, which is what he wants us to do when he said, if you will, Keep my word. We may say, what, what is his word? What does he want me to do? Well, he went out and he preached repentance. He wants you and me to be sorry for our sins. And maybe we've got some troubles here. Sometimes we say, well, I'm sorry for my sins. I have turned to him. This is what he wants me to do. I have repented. I have told him that I am sorry for the things that I have done wrong. And we may say, I told him that I have a conviction of sin. But today, some of us are a little bit confused. We are saying, how sorry do you have to be? Just a, when do you know you're sorry? When do you know you're under conviction for sin? 
There are those that are upsetting us today and saying, well, when you are under conviction of sin, when you are really sorry, oh, you, you have some kind of an ecstatic experience. Uh, you go into an ecstasy, and there are those that tell us about great emotional upheavals they have. Now, if a man's had a great emotional upheaval, thank goodness he's had it. I don't deny any man. There are those that are saying, you've got to shed tears. You've got to be in a tremendous emotional state. Uh, you've got to experience something. And then you and I get upset, and we may say, how do I know whether I'm sorry enough? How do I know when I'm trying to do his will and I'm under conviction? How do I know that I've really repented? And listen, my friend, don't you ever make it hard. The job of a preacher is to make things simple. You may say, how do I know when I'm really sorry enough? May I make it just as simple so every kid in this audience can understand? You are sorry enough when you're sorry enough to quit doing what you know is wrong. You and I look at our life. Have I stopped doing those things that I know are wrong? Have I stopped doing deliberate things? Have I stopped persisting in that which I know is wrong? And when I have, then I'm sorry enough to quit. That is repentance. It's not a great ecstatic emotional experience. If you've never had one, you don't need one. This is it simply. And when you and I have done that, then we have this joy and this assurance. Jesus says, trust me. Then we have the assurance that we've taken the first step towards, again, the great promise of Jesus Jesus said, if you do what I ask you to do, that's the first step towards the assurance. Jesus says, I promise you, you'll never die. You'll never see eternal death, and you'll never see eternal damnation. This is Passion Sunday, and it's nice to look at the great promise of Jesus. He made it under most adverse circumstances there in the temple that day in Jerusalem, standing before a group of hecklers, and they were simply taking everything and twisting it out of shape, everything that he was saying, and they were simply humiliating him and belittling him. But through it all, your Lord and mine stood and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall keep my saying, he said, that person shall never see death. And Jesus says, will you please, will you trust me? Will you trust this promise? Will you stick your life on it? Will you stop doubting it? And you and I say, well, I, I want to trust you, Jesus. But where's the evidence that you're not going to sell me short? Eh, oh, it's easy said, but hard to do. Oh, you made so many promises, promises, and more promises. Are you coming through? And Jesus says, I've given you all the evidence you need and all the proof and all the certainty because in this encounter with these hecklers in the second place, Jesus reminds you and me that we have this evidence that again he's coming through. It's the evidence that he is no less than the eternal one, God himself, deity. Oh, when he talked about who convinces me of sin and when he told them that he said, if you were of the truth, you'd be hearing God's word and therefore you aren't God's children because you don't hear the truth. They turned and said, now we know that you're a smear. You're a foreigner, they told him. You're possessed of a devil. You are in cahoots with the devil. And Jesus said, no, I am not demon possessed. He said, I didn't come into the world to honor myself apart from my heavenly father. He said, God honors me. And then when Jesus made this promise and this statement to them, they said, now we know that you're possessed. You mean to say that if anybody does your will, that he's going to absolutely never see death? And they said, who do you think you are? Abraham, our great father, he died, and all the prophets have died. And you say that if anybody does your will, and anybody heeds your saying that he'll never die, what do you think you're saying? Who do you think you are? 
And Jesus, again, he began to talk about Abraham. And he said this, after again the heckling stopped, he says, I'll have you know this, that he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they thought, you mean to tell me that you have seen Abraham, and that Abraham has seen you? If Abraham saw you, then you see Abraham lived 2,000 years before this incident. And so they said, why, you aren't even 50 years old. And you mean to say that you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, looked at them and he said, before Abraham ever existed, before Abraham ever came into the world, he says, I am. Tremendous statement. Before Abraham lived, Jesus says, I am. In other words, I am the eternal one. I am no less than God himself. I am deity. You may say, how did Abraham ever see the day of Jesus? Well, Abraham, you know, had been promised by God that if he'd go to a land where God would send him, that in him and his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed that God would send a Savior. But Abraham didn't have a son. And again, he was going on in years, and he was an old man, and Sarah was an old lady, when the angel announced that they would be parents of a son. And when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah 90, they gave birth to a son. She did. And you know, when they were told about it, that they laughed. They thought, oh, that can't be. How can a woman all going on 90 ever give birth to a son? But when the son was born, they named him Isaac, which means laughter. They had laughed, you know. Now it was a real joy. And when Isaac was born, there was God fulfilling again in you and in your seed. There was the seed. And Abraham, he saw the day of Jesus in the birth of his son Isaac. And they rejoiced. God's going to fulfill his promise. Promises, 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 you can be sure, but God fulfilled it. Jesus, oh, he wasn't 50 years old according to the flesh, but again, he had seen Abraham, he was the eternal one. Jesus said, do you want proof that when I ask you, will you please trust my promise that if you do what I ask you to do, that I promise you you'll never see death, you will never see eternal death, you will never see hell, you will never spend eternity in the region of the damned in the place of torment, you will spend eternity in the place of joy with me in heaven. And Jesus said, won't you trust me? And you're asking for evidence, I want you to know that before Abraham was, I am, that's the name Jehovah God, I am God, I am God the Son, I am deity. What greater proof do you and I want that he's going to come through because being deity, he would remind me that he was big enough. He was big enough on the cross to bear all of our guilt and all of our punishment for us. How big a Savior do you and I have? Look at him on the cross. He was God. And because he was God, he took all of your guilt, not just some of it, not just some of mine. He took all of our punishment. And he bore the equal of an eternity in hell. He bore it all. He paid the bill in full for all of your sins and all of mine. Why? Because he was God. What greater proof do you and I want? And therefore, because he was God and because he is God, he says, I'm big enough that I can fulfill that promise. Who's going to stop me? If the gates of hell shall never prevail against his church, you and I can say, listen, Jesus, if the gates of hell aren't going to destroy your church, the gates of hell and hell will never have the power to ever prevent you from keeping sending my soul to hell. This is the promise. Jesus says, what greater proof do you want? We ought to today, then, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to stake my life on this promise. I'm going to do his will. We may say, what is his will? It's not only to repent of our sins, but we ought to determine then this morning to say that I'm going to put my faith and my trust in him as my personal Savior, and I'm going to ask him to forgive me my sins. You may say, 
What is his will? What do you have to do in order to make him your savior? Well, one thing is to repent, which we've talked about. The next thing is that we put our faith in him and we ask him for forgiveness. And this again is upsetting some people. Some are saying to me, how do you know when you've got a faith that saves? What's the test for faith? There are those that are saying, well, if you have faith in Jesus and you put your trust in him, then you've undergone some ecstatic experience. You've had some kind of a vision. You've been in a trance. Maybe you've even been able to, again, you've had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and maybe you've been able to speak in tongues that you don't even know what you're saying. You've got to have some great experience if you have faith. And then those of us that have said, well, I've never had that. I don't know what that's all about. I've never spoken in foreign tongues. I've never had an ecstatic experience. Then some of you, and you've come and you've cried, and you've said, how do you know when your faith is alive? And as a preacher and as a teacher, I'd like to set you straight. Listen, what's the proof of faith? You can't see your faith, and I can't see mine. And I can't see yours, and you can't see mine. When do I know when I've got a living, saving faith? Jesus makes it simple. He says, by their fruits ye shall know them. He says, faith without deeds, it's a dead faith. The only way to find out whether you and I have got a living, saving faith, look at our life. It's just as simple as that. Just take a look at your life and mine. If on the tree of your life and mine, you and I see fruit that ought to be there, that's, that's in keeping with what ought to be there when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, then I can say the fruit on the tree of my life because, again, it's, it's God-like to a certain extent. It isn't perfect. I can say mine's a living, saving faith. Now, when a man tells me he's had visions and ecstatic experiences and when he speaks another tongue, fine. I don't deny anybody that. If you've had it, God bless you. I haven't. The big thing is, is that the proof of faith? Remember back in the Old Testament, you hear about Balaam? The prophet that lived about the time of Moses, you know, he rode around on a donkey. You remember, he rode around this donkey, this jackass, or this ass. You remember one day that jackass saw an angel. Yeah, a real one. I've never seen one, have you? But here was a donkey that saw one. And he not only saw an angel that I've never seen, many another person hadn't seen one either. And he, he spoke in human language, but when it was all over, he was still a donkey. Didn't mean a thing. Let me tell you this. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. He said, though you speak with the language or the tongue of men or of angels, and you haven't got love, Christian love, he says, what are you? You're a headache to God. You're such a raucous noise of give God fits. It's possible to have an ecstatic experience like Balaam's donkey. And it's possible to speak in strange tongues and still not have a saving faith. You read your Bible. Paul says you can still have the language of angels. Let's make it simple. You and I may go through life completely, never feel any different in the world. But let me tell you this. If you can look at your life, and I can look at mine, and I can say at least it's consistent. I've done away with doing those things that I know are wrong. And again, the fruit on the tree of my life it, 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 it resembles something to what it ought to be. Then you and I can say whether you've ever had an ecstatic experience or whether you haven't, my faith is a living faith in Jesus. And then there is this joy and this assurance 
that when you and I have done what he's asked us to do, he says, I'm coming through. Don't you ever doubt that for a moment. There is the assurance that we're going to face temporal death. Sure we are. He wasn't talking about that. And I know the experience of death isn't something that we look forward to with any joy, but it's only going to last a couple of seconds, five to 15 seconds mainly, but to know that he will be there. And to know that when we pass through that temporal death, to know that he is there and saying, remember my promise, and that you'll go on, and when you come through that experience of earthly death, that there is no eternal death awaiting you and me. You can stake your life on that one. You can stake your life on it. But don't you make faith in Jesus hard. Faith in Jesus is a simple thing. Get tested in your life. Oh, this is Passion Sunday. And Jesus, again, he had a bunch of hecklers and they were misconstruing everything that he was saying. They were making fun of him, belittling him, humiliating him. But thank God he stood there in the temple that day and he made a tremendous promise. Verily, verily, with all, this, with all the earnestness that I can muster, I want you to know if any man does my will, that man shall never see death. And you and I say, Lord, I, I want to trust you. And after all, what else can you do with a promise but trust it and believe it and hold on to it? And Jesus says, please do. Don't ever even entertain the thought that I'll disappoint you. Don't ever entertain the thought that you'll be disillusioned in the great tragic hour. Jesus says, I've given you all the proof you need because we also have this proof that he gave that day the assurance and this incontestable proof that he is the timeless Savior. You know, I, I love this expression when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, that he kept it in the present tense, I am. That means something. The fact that it is I am. He, what is he saying? I am the great I am. That I am, I am the timeless Savior. I'm not subject to time. I'm not past, present, and future. We talk about Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. You may say, what, what do you mean by that? I mean this. Sometimes we say, well, now Christ died in about the year 33. He died on the cross, didn't he? And we say, yes. Then you say, well, I can see where the benefits of that death on the cross for the people from there on, that they could have the benefits of it and should not, therefore, if they put their faith in him, since he died and bore hell for them, they should not be lost. But we may say, but how about those coming back to the time of Adam? How about from Adam to the time of Calvary? 4,000 long years. How about those people that lived in the Old Testament? Isn't it a wonderful assurance that even here before those who were critical of him and heckling him, that he calls himself the I Am. He says, I am the timeless Christ. And the book of Revelation in the 13th chapter gives us a clue what this means. It says, he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know that in the eyes of God, Calvary, Jesus, while it occurred in the year about 33, God says that Calvary actually occurred from the foundation of the world. You don't understand the cross until we and I, you and I can say this. Go back to the time of Adam and Eve. Here was Calvary, the lamb slain, and just draw a line. He was slain in every age. It was a timeless sacrifice. Come from Adam and Eve and come now to the time of Noah, 3000 B.C. Come to Abraham, 2000 B.C. Here is still Calvary. Come to David, 1000 B.C. Come to the time when he came. Here is Calvary. Come to our time. 2000 years afterwards, it is still Calvary, the Lamb slain in every age, timeless for every age, and therefore the universal Christ, the Christ that on the cross bore hell and damnation for the entire human race. That's who he is. That's what it means. Then you and I say, well, I'm scared to death, Jesus, if I put my trust in you that you'll sell me out, that you won't be able to come through. 
Can you really fulfill it? Jesus says, I'm the timeless Savior. I'm the only Savior the world has ever known. Calvary from the time of Adam to the end of the world. It's a timeless sacrifice. Universal. I'm the universal Savior. No man saved except me. Not two ways of salvation, one in the old and one in the new. I am the universal Savior. And therefore, he assures you and me that as the universal Savior, he's got a robe of righteousness for the entire human race. Because Calvary actually was a timeless event that it, you can just draw a line from Adam to the end of the world. It continually took place because it was not subject to time. And when you and I can look at him and say, well, you're the universal Christ. You are the one that provided a robe. Oh, it's spotless and it's whiter than snow. For the entire trillions and trillions of human beings, why, well, how in the world could he ever disappoint you and me? We ought to say today on Passion Sunday, well, I'll risk my life on that promise. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll repent. And I'll believe, and it's very simple that we understand. Then we ought to determine today to thank him that he came and that he went to the cross to fulfill this promise in spite of those hecklers. We sometimes say, how in the world did you do it, Jesus? They stood there and they just stretched out of shape everything that he said. They heckled him and they simply humiliated him and they shamed him and they disgraced him. And they wonder why. Why did he do it? The story is told that in Philadelphia a man was driving his horse in his wagon and he stopped for a moment and got out and something came along and scared the horse and frightened him and the horse started out and the horse was panic stricken. The man was running alongside, he reached and got the lines and he held on and the people yelled, let loose, you're going to get killed and he held on and he was dragged down the street and bounced and the skin was off and his clothing half ripped off his body but he held on, whoa, whoa and hold, hold on they said, listen, your neck's better than the blood, let loose and he didn't do it and he kept on holding and finally he got the horse under restraint and they said why in the world didn't you let loose and he said go up and look in the wagon they looked in the wagon little boy asleep he said that's all the boy I've got I couldn't let loose that's my son you and I say this morning Jesus why didn't you let loose why in the world did you ever go Jesus said I had a perishing world depending on me I love the world. That's why I went. When you and I can thank him and say, in spite of all the heckling, in spite of all the criticism, we can just hold on and say, I I'll, risk, I'll risk my life on you. I'll trust you. Then again, there's this joy and this certainty that having him, we can start to forgive ourselves. We can say when we clasp his hand, oh, the future is glorious. I just met a man last week again he cried to me he said oh I have told God I'm so sorry for my life I have put my faith in Jesus but oh if I could just be sure that he's forgiven me he said if he hasn't and he said I'm a goner he cried I'm a goner I I'm a goner I'll never be saved and I, I said to him why again can't you accept his forgiveness you have repented. Oh, yes. But he said, oh, I've done some terrible things. But isn't it wonderful when we've got a Christ who went to the cross? Jesus will say, if there's somebody here this morning and you're plagued by the past. And Jesus will say, what do you mean, these past sins? What do you mean? And you may say, oh, look, look what I've done. And Jesus will say, I feel like I don't see him. I don't know what you're talking about. We may say to your wife, look what I've done wrong. And Jesus said, oh, I've forgiven you long ago. You asked me, didn't you? 
And when I forgive, you know, I, I don't remember your sins. I have obliterated those from my mind forever. And then Jesus will say, if we're so plagued with that, when are you going to start to forgive yourself? Jesus this morning is saying, listen, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have washed again those off of your soul you've asked me to years ago. Uh, won't you forgive yourself? Will you nail up your past? Will you forget it? Take my hand. Let's go on. And oh, today we can say, oh, you've given me every evidence that you're coming through. You're not going to disappoint me. I have told you I'm sorry. I have put my faith in you. We can clasp our hands and we can nail up yesterday and don't ever look back. Why plague ourselves and not forgive ourselves when he doesn't even remember our sins and let's go on. This can be the joy. Say, there's one thing I know. Lord Jesus, you're, you're, you're not going to fail me. I'll not be disillusioned. I, I trust you. You are my Christ and hand in hand. We can go on and we can say, my God and I go in the field together. We, we walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the meadows, you. We can sing, oh, this earth will pass. And with it, common trifles, sin, and all the things that bother. But God and I will go unendingly. This is the assurance. What a Christ. What a promise. What an assurance. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Mm -hmm.